Welcome to the Coming Out of the Dark Bible Study with Pastor John. Tonight's study will be in the book of Philippians. We invite you to join us at 1 Oakley Avenue in North Providence, Rhode Island. This podcast is presented to you by The Way Ministries, supported by listeners like you. For donations, live videos, podcasts, and more, please visit www.thewayministriesri.org. Thank you and have a great day. God is good. How about a smile on everybody tonight, huh? All right, huh? It could be a lot worse. It could be a lot worse out there. Thank you, Jesus. He's always got our back. He said he'd never leave us nor forsake us, and we can hold him at his word. All right, we're going to start tonight in Genesis chapter 2. We are using the black Bibles in the pews. As I always say, the Holy Spirit will be taken over as I go into the scriptures. So please prepare your heart and clear your mind to receive the message that the Spirit is trying to say to the church tonight. Amen? Okay. Genesis chapter 2, we're going to back up to verse 15. <laughs> okay. Genesis chapter 2. Verse 15. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. <laughs> okay. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them, and the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals, but still there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, This one is bone for my bone and flesh for my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. Verse 24. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Amen. If you think about it, the unbelieving world goes by all the principles of the Bible. 
They go, they get married, they call a woman a woman, right? They get that all out of the Bible, but yet there is no God. Go figure. This is common sense that the Bible is true. Everything it says in there is true, amen? <laughs> Only a fool says there is no God. All yeah, right, that was a great scripture. Now I got one for us. <laughs> 2 Timothy chapter 2. Let's go there tonight. 2 Timothy chapter 2. I was four in a row this week, huh? Spiritual strength, right? Someday, who knows? Maybe we'll be able to open the door seven days. We're going to have to pretty soon. The way the world's going. We're going to want to run to the church. Please! i got to get out of here. Open the doors. I need a sanctuary. The world is going crazy. People are going crazy. People are reaching for all kinds of things. And then diving into all kinds of craziness. Never finding any contentment. Because that hole that everybody has in their soul comes from God. And until they find him, they'll never be content. Amen? Amen to that. We seem to um, have that pretty much worked out. Thank you, Jesus. Open our eyes. All right, let's start in verse 15 of 2 Timothy chapter 2. Work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the words of truth. Avoid worthless, foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior. This kind of talk spreads like cancer, or in the Greek it calls it gangrene, as in the case of Hymenaeus and Philetus, they have left the path of truth, claiming that the resurrection of the dead has already occurred. In this way, they have turned some people away from the faith. But God's truth stands firm, like a foundation stone with this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his. Big amen there, right? He's quoting Numbers chapter 16, verse 5. And all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. You quote from Isaiah 52, 11, verse 20. In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions, and the cheap ones are for everyday use. Now, I don't know what nationality you are, but most of the nationalities have that china cabinet. There's more dust on it that ever gets used, but nobody touches it unless, you know, like Thanksgiving or Christmas, and the everyday stuff just goes on the table. That's what God's saying. That's what he's saying here. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions, and the cheap ones are used for everyday use. Now, the Bible tells us, he's using the analogy, if you keep yourself pure, if you stay away from sin, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean. 
And you will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. Big amen there, right? It's up to us to clean out this house through repentance and confession so God can use us. And then it says in verse 22, run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, this is what we're to go after as Christians. Pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. That's why we're here, right? We love companionship, right? We come here together with pure hearts. And look at verse 23. Again, I said, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only starts fights. A lot of times the devil gets us involved in stuff that don't even matter. And our tempers start flaring. And it ruins our testimony. And it says in verse 24, A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach, and be patient with difficult people. Does anybody have any difficult people in their lives? All right, well, God is using them people to train you so he can use you to advance his kingdom. That's who he's going to use. There is no growth without resistance. So you have to say, thank you, Lord, for even thinking of using me. And that's the only way you're ever going to get it, is if he's going to put somebody in front of us that's very difficult. And I say, oh, Lord, how many people are you going to put in front of me? <laughs> Mother Mary. To be patient with difficult people. Gently, listen now, it says in 25, gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts, knowing that we can't do it. Then they will learn the truth. See, when you get into arguments with people, you can't change their hearts. They shut down and the walls come up. So you want, you just be gentle and you turn them over to God. You don't have to try to bash them and tell them what God's all about. No, the Holy Spirit's job is to do that. Our job is to love them into the kingdom, not corrupt them. And then what it says, perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap. For they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. You know, you'll be talking to some people and they just don't want to hear about none of this. They don't want to hear about church. They don't want to hear about God. Or they'll be involved in a, a church that has nothing to do with God and doesn't really, the core of it is not the word of God. And it's full of deception and hypocrisy. Amen. But people who are searching for the truth will find it. God will send them to the church with the, with the truth. If you're looking for truth, you will find it. Amen. Unfortunately, that's what we do here. The truth. And nothing but the truth, because the word of God is the core of this ministry. And it always will be. Not anybody's opinion, not mine, not no one's, but it's what God says to us that we learn from, which is the Bible. All right, let us go to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to break into Philippians 3 tonight. We have the, this study in full on the website. If you want to go on and listen to it from Philippians chapter 1, you can go always, always go back and reiterate and learn. We learn these this is a great study in Philippians. Amen? Okay. In verse, in chapter 3, verse 1. The priceless value of knowing Christ. We have to understand two things. Having Christ is one thing. 
Knowing Christ is a whole different animal. Okay, You can have him the moment you believe. But to get to know Christ is from Genesis to Revelations. And if you really want to get to know Christ, you have to read the Bible from cover to cover. Can I get an amen for this? There's no way around it. That's the only way you will truly get to know God's character and the progressive revelation of God's plan for, you, for, for life. That's how we find it, through the Bible. From Genesis to Revelations. So, everybody should be reading the Bible. And we offer that on the website. Now it says in verse 1, Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. He's saying whatever happens. How about you? Whatever happens. It says to rejoice in the Lord. Whatever happens, whatever's going on in your life, always praise the Lord. That's how we get rid of all the evil. By praising God. Amen? Amen? The Bible tells us to do everything without complaining and arguing. When you complain and argue, you are opening the door for Satan to come in and attack you. Can I get an amen for this? Amen. Now it says, always rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved or follow a bunch of do's and don'ts. We who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. How about a big amen for that? All right, let me expand on that a little bit before we go on. As a safeguard, okay, in verse 1, Paul reviewed the basics with these believers. The Bible is our safeguard both morally and theologically, okay? When we read it individually and publicly in church, it alerts us to corrections we need to make in our thoughts in our attitudes, and in our actions. In verses 2 and 3, what God, when he was talking about those dogs and people who do evil, mutilators, were very likely the Judaizers, okay? Jewish Christians who wrongly believed that it was essential for Gentiles to follow all the Old Testament Jewish laws, okay? Especially submission to the right of circumcision in order to receive salvation. Many Judaizers were motivated by spiritual pride because they had invested so much time and effort in keeping their laws, they couldn't accept the fact that all their efforts couldn't bring them a step closer to salvation. Paul criticized the Judaizers because they looked at Christianity backward thinking that what they did, circumcision, cutting or mutilating of their flesh, made them believers rather than the free gift of grace given by Jesus Christ. What believers do is a result of faith, not a prerequisite to faith. This had been confirmed by the early church leaders at the Jerusalem Council 11 years earlier in Acts chapter 15. Who are the Judaizers of our day? They are those who say that people must add something else to simple faith. 
Okay? No person should have anything that Christ offers salvation by grace through faith. Big amen there, right? It's easier to place more emphasis on human effort than on internal faith. But God values the attitude of our hearts above all else. Don't judge people's spirituality by their fulfillment of duties or by their level of human activity. And don't think that you will satisfy God by feverishly doing his work. God notices all you do for him and will reward you for it. But only if it comes as a loving response to his free gift of salvation. Amen. We don't do it to get saved. We do it because we are saved. Amen. The motive is different because we love God and we love his people. So we do it out of gratitude. Not out of, out of what? Obligation. Now he's saying in verse 4. Now he's saying. Let's continue now. Let's go in verse, in verse 4. Though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone else could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. Now Paul's going to make a little sarcasm here. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Now listen to what he says in verse 7. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Verse 8. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Now let me stop there for a minute. He says, everything else, all your religious activities, everything else that you do for God is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus. How do you know Christ Jesus? By reading the word of God and developing a relationship through the word of God. Everything else outward, religiously, is worthless compared to knowing him that way and experiencing that. Can I get an email for that? People think coming to church and buying a study, God's happy with me. No, he's happy with you when you understand and really know who he is and his character. By reading the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And he will speak to each and every one of us individual and develop a relationship with you. That is more valuable than you sitting here right now. This is just a supplement to help you understand that. It's not a replacement for it. Can I get any men for this? It's every Christian's duty to read the word of God each and every day and develop a rich relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you don't do that, you'll never get to know him. You have him by believing in him. But to know him, you have to what? Read his word, study it, and apply it to your life. Then you can experience Christ Jesus. That's what it's talking about. Now, he said in verse 8, listen to what he says here. Listen to Paul. I think he would be the one who would know more than anybody else about this. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Look at what he says here. For his sake, 
I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so I could gain Christ and become one with him. See, he become one with the word of God. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ or through the faithfulness of Christ. For God's way of making us right with him, making us right with himself, what does it depend on? It depends on faith. Okay, it depends on faith. Now, before we go into verse 10, I want to expand on everything I just talked about, because this is very, very important to understand. Again, amen for this. Is everybody paying attention? All right, pay attention, because this is important. The devil's going to try to distract you. Stay focused, okay? At first glance, okay, in verses 4 to 6, it looks like Paul is boasting about his achievements. He's telling everybody what he did. He was a Pharisee, but he is actually doing the opposite, okay? He's showing that human achievements, no matter how impressive, cannot earn a person's salvation in eternal life with God. Okay? Paul had impressive credentials, upbringing, nationality, family background, inheritance, orthodoxy, activity, and morality. Okay? However, his, his conversion to faith in Christ in Acts chapter 9 wasn't based on what he had done but was based on God's grace. Paul did not depend on his deeds to please God because even the most impressive credentials fall short of God's holy standards. Big amen there, right? Are you dependent on Christian parents, church affiliation, or just being good to make you right with God? Credentials, accomplishments, or reputation cannot earn salvation. Salvation comes only through faith in Christ. Okay? In verse 5, Paul belonged. Listen to who he belonged to. Paul belonged to the tribe of Benjamin. Okay? A heritage greatly esteemed among the Jews. From this tribe had come Israel's first king, Saul. Right in 1 Samuel 10, verses 20 to 24. The tribes of Benjamin and Judah were the only two tribes to return to Israel after the exile. Okay, that's they tell us that in Ezra chapter 4, verse 1. Paul was also a Pharisee, a member of the very devout Jewish sect that scrupulously kept its own numerous rules in addition to the laws of Moses. Paul explains for these for these mostly Gentile believers that his Jewish credentials were impeccable. So why had Paul a devout Jewish leader? persecuted the church. Agreeing with the leaders of the religious establishment, Paul had thought that Christianity was heretical and blasphemous because Jesus did not meet his expectations of what the Messiah would be like. They were looking for some elegant king. Paul had assumed that Jesus' claims were false and therefore wicked. In addition, he had seen Christianity as a political menace because it threatened to disrupt the fragile harmony between the Jews and the Roman government. Are you with me so far here? When Paul spoke of these things, he was referring to his credentials, credits, and successes. After showing that he could beat the Judaizers at their own game, being proud of who they were and what they had done, Paul showed that it was the wrong game. 
Be careful of considering past achievements so important that they get in the way of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Big amen there, right? Now, in verse 8, when it says everything else is worthless, listen what he says here. Listen now. After Paul considered everything he had accomplished in his life, he decided to write it all off as worthless. When compared to the greatness of knowing Christ, okay, we should value our relationship with Christ as more important than anything else. Okay, to know Christ should be our ultimate goal. Yet, how do we know him better? One, study the life of Christ in the Gospels. Okay, see how Christ lived and responded to people, like it tells us in Matthew chapter 11. Two, study all the New Testament references to Christ. Colossians 3, as you worship and pray, let the Holy Spirit remind you of Christ's words. John 14, 26. Four, take up Christ's mission to preach the gospel and learn from his sufferings. Matthew 28, verse 19. To do these things, however, may mean that you must make major changes. Okay? In your thinking and in your lifestyle. Are you willing to change your values in order to know Christ better? That's the question. Will you fix or rearrange your crowded schedule in order to set aside a few minutes each day for prayer and Bible study? Will you change some of your plans, goals, and desires in order to conform with what you learn about Jesus Christ? Whatever you must change or give up, having Christ and becoming one with him will be more than worth the sacrifice. Big amen there. And there's people here that know that, that have devoted their life to knowing Christ better than whatever's going on in their life otherwise. Because the Bible says, seek the kingdom of heaven above all else, and all these things will be added unto you. What do people do? They get all their affairs in order and put God last then that's never going to work. You have to put him first. Put it to the test. Put him first. Don't worry. He'll gladly give you your misery back if you decide it's not working. <laughs> give it a shot, though. People don't even give it a try. They figure they're going to take care of all this stuff outside the church instead of becoming one with the church, which is the body of Christ. Amen? If I thought that way, I guess it wouldn't have to come up here all the time. But the body, one body, many parts means me up here and you in there. It's just as important as being here is me being up here. We're all connected to the body and we all belong to each other. Amen. Make no excuses about it. You want to get to know Jesus better and to stop being suffering and miserable. You get to know, got to know to get to know Jesus better and have a relationship with him. That's how it works, my brothers and sisters. Okay. Now, verse 9. Let's stop. Let's keep going. And become one with him. I no longer count on my righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Now, look what it says in verse 10. I want to know Christ. And experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Right? I want to suffer with him. 
sharing in his death. What does he mean? He wants to experience the mighty power and raise him from the dead. He wanted to ex experience the resurrected life, dying to the flesh and the resurrected life in Christ and being able to say no to his sin nature. He wanted to experience that in his life. Do you want to experience that? Do you want to experience you saying no when your sin nature urges you to do something that's wrong? The only way you're going to do that is to trust Jesus. He's the only one. And you have to what? Die. Jesus said, unless a kernel of wheat goes in the ground and dies, it cannot produce anything else. So you can't improve yourself. It's called self-help will never fix you. You have to die to yourself. And get resurrected in Christ, which is in the word of God. You have to get your mind renewed. There's no such thing as willpower in the body of Christ. It's called self-control. The more control you give over to God in your life, the more self-control he gives to you to say no to the things that are hurting you. Yeah, big amen there, right? You can't do it in the flesh. Willpower does not work. It might work for a season, but we always fall back into the same mess over and over and over again. And then we get on our knees and say, God, I'm going to be better. Hello, you just contradicted what you just said. You can't get better. You're going to ask God to kill you. Kill my flesh and, and resurrect my spirit. That's what has to take place in a believer. The problem is you don't want to die in the flesh. You still like some of the things in your life in the flesh. So you keep it alive. But God won't fix that. He won't do anything for you that way. It has to go to the grave. And that's the problem that believers have. They're not willing to die to the flesh and, and see the glory of God in their life. The resurrection power that he's talking about. Okay? In verses 9 and 10, now listen. Paul gave up everything. Family, friendship, and freedom. In order to know Christ and his resurrection power. We too have access to this knowledge and this power. But we may have to make sacrifices to enjoy it fully. Okay. What are you willing to give up in order to know Christ? A crowded schedule in order to set aside a few minutes each day for prayer and Bible study? Your friend's approval? Some of your plans or pleasures? Whatever it is. Knowing Christ is way worth more than the sacrifice. So he said in verse 11 now, listen to what he said. So that one way or another I'll experience the resurrection from the dead. He wanted to experience Jesus Christ living inside of him. He wanted to experience it. Do you? You're not going to ever experience it unless you die to yourself. You have to get resurrected. What do you think born again means? Is anybody in here a born again believer? We're all born again, right? What do you think that means? That means you're born again spiritually. And your old life has to die. He says, I can't fix you that way. I can only give you a new life. And that's a new life in Christ. So now you're going to go back to school again and learn how to live all over again, which is the ways of the Bible. So this is what this is like. It's like going back to school again to learn how to do it right. Like I said, the Bible is the owner's manual. All the time, every time you get something, you try to put it together and fix it without the owner's manual, right? You put the wrong screws in, it doesn't work, the batteries are in backwards. So what's wrong with this stuff? I'm taking it back. 
And then you say, oh, wait a minute. Let me just see what the owner's manual says. Then you read it. And you said, I had it. I did it all wrong. Then you put it together. And then it works right. It's the same thing with your life. You go out there. You make a mess of your life. You never read the Bible. You never come to Jesus. Never do any of that, right? Your life is a mess. God says, are you ready now to let me show you the way to live? Sorry, but you have to die now and you'll have to have a new life in Christ. That's why you have to read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation or you'll never experience it. Does everybody, anybody in here want to experience the new life that everybody claims that they're born again? Well, there's only one way to do it. There's not rocket science. You have to read the Word of God. You have to study the Word of God. You have to believe the Word of God. And you have to apply the Word of God. And then you have to give God the glory for every success after this. Because he's the one living in you. Because you can't do it. No more plaques on the wall. No, Jesus gets all the glory. I get nothing. Paul said, I know nothing good lives in me in my sin nature. So anything good that comes after I'm born again is because Jesus is working in me, not me. And it was all done with the right motive. Now it's out of love for God, love for self, and love for others. It's not for any selfish gain. That's why when people decide to serve the Lord, they give him everything. Because all to him I owe. Sin had left this crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. When you understand how bad you really are and what he really did for you, you'd have no problem digging in your pocket to put money in the basket to support something that's true. Other than that, oh, I can't do it. I need my own stuff. I need my, I gotta take care of me. You think you can outgive God after what he did for you? He went on the cross, suffered in the blood for you so you can live. So what? So you can have a better life down here? I'm going to keep what's mine? No, everything belongs to him after that. And you should support the ministry that's teaching truth with everything you have. And those who don't should be ashamed of themselves. Should be ashamed of themselves saying, it's all about me. I'm going to, I'm going to go and suck the ministry dry. We're not here to take. We're here to give. Because that's when you get fulfilled. Remember the lady said, she gave her last penny, she put it in. And he said, this lady gave everything she had. Jesus said, she's going to be remembered forever. Because she gave everything she had. Somebody that has $10,000 that throws a $10 bill in the basket doesn't get the same kind of reward as somebody that gave everything they had to them. Thought, word, and deed. Can I get an amen for this? This is not a ministry about money, but it costs money to run a ministry. Time, talent, treasure. It doesn't have to be money. It's how about your time. You say, you know, what can I do for the church? Can I come in and help it? Or is always, am I always asking help from the church? Or can I come and help the church? People with the right heart, you'll know. We go, see, you know what it is? We go from Cacob, which is the flesh, to giver, which is the spirit. So that's how you know. When you give more than you take, then you know the Spirit of God is working in you. Can I get an amen for this? Okay. If you can't say amen, say ouch. I don't want to, I don't care. The truth is the truth. And the truth will set you free. Free from yourself and your selfishness. Jesus didn't die so you can have a better life down here. 
He died so you could give your life to him. And let me tell you something. When you give your life to him, your life does get better. It gets way better than you ever thought that you could make it on your own. How do I know that? Because I gave him everything. Because all to him I owe. Because I don't deserve anything that he's given me. After the way I've lived and what I've thought and what I've done. And neither does anybody in this room. None of us deserve what he did for us. All of us are sinners, evil, and wicked. You want the truth? Here it is. Anybody who thinks they're better than anybody else don't belong in church. And the ones that think they do are going to suffer for it. Because God will give them more than they could ever ask for and they'll be throwing it up. Well, that wasn't rehearsed, by the way. Let the spirit speak. If anybody asked me what I just said, I couldn't tell you. Because it wasn't me. Because it's what the Spirit is trying to say to the church. And those with the conspiracy, I'm going to say this too, the conspiracy theorists in the church, go read Isaiah when he says, don't say everything's a conspiracy. Because God is in control of everything. That's your own intellectual foolishness. Thinking about conspiracies. That's the devil. The devil puts us in conspiracy theory. God puts us in the love theory. That's the theory you should have. So if anybody in here is a conspiracy theorist, I suggest you get on your knees and repent of that. Because it's evil. And it's from the devil. Can I get an amen for this? Good, if not an ouch. That's the truth. Because it says it in Isaiah, don't call everything a conspiracy because God's in control of everything. He puts the people in, he takes the people out. You have no control over that. Only God does. And you should glorify him by being obedient to the people he puts above you. I love you. And the people who ain't, the rebels in the church... They're going to have to answer for that. They said, rebellion is as evil as witchcraft. When you rebel against the word of God and the conspiracy theories in the church, it's as evil as witchcraft. It's right from the devil. Let the spirit speak truth in the church. That's like saying God's not in control. He's in control of everything, fool. Everything you think that you can do better than God by deciphering what's going on, you think you can read people's thoughts in their minds? Now, fool. Only God knows what's going on in someone's heart. And you leave it in his hands and you have a good life. Amen. Mind your business. Say, you know what? Jesus saved me so I could develop a relationship with him. That's why he saved me. So I could say no to my flesh and my stupid intellectual ways, become like a child, and let the Bible teach me how to become a man or a woman. The right way. Without all this other stuff coming in from the world system, mixing it in with, with, this, with the Bible. How do I know? Paul. 
He thought he was doing God a favor, killing people. I'm doing God's will by exposing all these things. He says, he knocked them off his high horse. He said, who do you think you are? Remember Job? We just read Job, right? What did he say? Did Job, after, after God got done with him, did he say to Job, you poor boy, it was a big conspiracy against you. No, he said, where were you when I put all this together? He didn't have no pity part and didn't tell him you know, any theories or conspiracy or anything else. God knew what he was doing and he knows what he's doing now. In the world and in your life. And if you want to doubt him, that's up to you. If you think you know more than God does, go for it. I don't want to try that. <laughs> no. What you should do is get on your knees and say, tell God, listen, I'm stupid for even thinking things like that. Because you're the one who created it all. And you're the only one that holds it all together. And you're the only one who can fix it. Glory be to Jesus. I digress. Okay. Verse 12. Ready now? Pressing towards the goal. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things, see? Or that I already reached perfection or maturity. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. See, he got possessed by Jesus. How did he get possessed by Jesus? Who else would be able to go to prison, get beaten and whipped and still pronounce Jesus' name if he wasn't possessed by him? Are you possessed by Jesus? Or are you possessed by the devil? Ask yourself that question. Just because you're sitting in church does not mean you're possessed by Jesus. Because when you're possessed by Jesus, doing the right thing, even when it hurts, you keep doing it because you can't not not do it. Because you're possessed by righteousness. Not Satan and all the wrong stuff. You see? When you're possessed by the devil, you still do things you want to do. I got to get my agenda done. I got to, oh, what about me? And the devil says, oh, one of them warped Christians, I love them. Yep. It's all about me. I'm coming to church, but, you know, maybe I have a little time to read the Bible. And God says, I'm trying to help you. When you read the word of God, it's what's going to change you and transform you into a new creation. Nothing else is going to do it. Your mind has to get renewed. It's warped and twisted. Now, now it says in verse 13, Paul now, Paul's been through everything. And he says in verse 13, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not yet achieved it. Or not achieved it yet, but I focus on this one thing. Listen now, this is what he's focusing on. And I hope you are too. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. What do people do? They're stuck in the past. They can't live a new life because they won't get rid of the old one. They won't get rid of the past. They keep wallowing in self-pity over what's been happening to me. Beep, ba, 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 ba. And Bible says, forget about it. Forget about it. <laughs> and look forward to what lies ahead. You can do nothing about what happened back there, but learn from it. Don't try to bring it back because you don't live in it. You'll never be able to enjoy a new life. Let it go. Let it go. 
That's some good godly advice right there. The longer you hold on to it, the more miserable you'll be. One more little tidbit I want to give you. If you have any resentments towards anybody, you better let them go. Because if you don't let them go, you'll never experience the peace of Christ. It'll hold you in bondage. The people you have resentments to don't even remember what you're resenting them for. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, keeps no record of being wrong. Remember that new heart? It's not a scorekeeper. It forgives. Now you have to ask yourself, am I really born again? Am I born again or ain't I? If I'm born again, I can care less about what happened yesterday. I got a new life in Jesus. And when you move forward like that, you can enjoy the rest of your life. Because he's going to take you the rest of the way. Instead of you navigating and the devil navigating your life, let Jesus do it. Believe me, you'll get a better result from it. But you have to trust it, and you have to obey it, and you have to believe it. The only thing to keep the nation out of our promised land was unbelief. So if you don't believe it, then it won't happen. You have to believe it. Jesus said, all you have to do is have the faith of a mustard so you can move a mountain. If you really believe it. And God knows, right? Now he says, I look forward to what lies ahead. And he says, look at verse 14. I press on. You know when you press on to do something? No matter what's going on in your life, you just press on. Right? We come to church four, four nights in a row here. We just press on. No matter what's going on, no matter what kind of adversities are happening in my life, I press on to reach the goal. And what's the goal? It says it right here. Look at verse 14. We're going to close here. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Look at verse 15. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree at some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. Here's the last one. Here's the Bible book. But we must hold on to the progress we have already made. I brought a big amen for that. If you look at where you were and where you are now, you have to hold on to that progress. And don't let the devil come and try to steal that progress from you. We're gaining ground. And we're not gaining it as fast as we want it. We're doing it with quality. God is changing us quality. He's changing us forever. And it takes time to do that. You have to give him time to work on you. And let him work. And his grace and his mercy covers it until we get there. But we got to keep moving towards what? Heaven. Not towards hell. Every time you go backwards, you go back into hell again. Every time you move forward, you move forward closer to heaven. That's simple. It's that simple. But we must hold on to the progress that the church has already made. Amen? Don't ever give up. Don't give up and don't give in. That's the way you're sure to win. All right. Amen? All right. We're going to stop there. We're going to close. And then we're going to have another song. David, you want to come up and close us tonight? Lord Jesus, thank you for the opportunity tonight to hear another awesome message. A message that I hope can touch all of our hearts. A message that can give us all wisdom. 
Lord Jesus, as we continue this walk with you, help us to grow in maturity and to accept your lordship over our lives. Help us to understand what it means to be imperfect and to be made perfect by your hand only. Lord Jesus, let's be grateful under every single trial and blessing that you've given us, knowing that there is a reason and a cause for everything that you planned out since the beginning of time. We don't know this, but help us have that maturity and the wisdom to get it and to understand it. Lord Jesus, help us just have that wisdom and just always be patient, waiting on you, and always loving and caring as you taught us and as you want us to become. So I pray these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, David. All right, we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song.